if you have your Bibles, and you know, I guess we've never really pushed that. I guess bring it. We got one. Uh, we're in it quite a bit. Um, we're going to be in Revelation twenty twenty one and twenty two at different times during the sermon today. The uh, I do put a lot of it on there, and so if you don't have it, don't feel like I'm sure most of you got it all memorized anyway, right? You know, I've talked about not uh, nobody within the right mind preach all the way through Revelation, but we've sure been in it a lot during this heaven series. Um, looking at uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, if you go back to the Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews that obviously talks a lot about the Old Testament and brings us forward into what the new covenant, how that fulfills that, uh, we have this chapter 11 that's what we call the Hall of Faith. It has all these different Old Testament uh, believers uh, that didn't know Jesus by name by any means, but knew Yahweh uh, and the covenants that they had. And after giving some information about a lot of them, it says all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. So it's talking about all these believers who never saw, the, never understood the cross completely, uh, never saw and, and read about the resurrection, but yet they were looking forward. They, I like the way that they're foreigners and nomads here on earth. I think we should almost translate here on the present earth. Because what does it say? They're, they're looking for a country they can call their own. We read this sometimes and we think, well, they want to go to this mystical spirit jumpy place up in the clouds that the Bible really doesn't talk about very much and is not the ultimate uh, uh, destination for all of the followers of Yahweh. Uh, it's a real and actual place, and we see this over and over again in Scripture. So they're not thrilled and hopeful because God would rule in heaven. Uh, he already did. They were, they were thrilled that he would someday rule on earth. And, and ever think about when you say the Lord's Prayer, what we ask? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been saying that for a long time. It's not only that it happens here, that it, that time will eventually come when the new heaven and the new earth and his will will be done. That's kind of what Jesus is talking. It's almost an eschatological prayer. I think it's both, that we want the kingdom to rule as much as we can while we're here on this earth, but eventually the new heaven and the new earth. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, the current heaven view is kind of stunted. There's not much in there. Where do people go when they die? Well, they go to a one place called Sheol. Uh, Sheol is, has apparently two places within it, a place of the dead that knew Yahweh and the place of the dead that did not. Um, most of the Bible, Old Testament talks about heaven, it's talking about this final heaven that we've been hitting on your chart, which equals the final earth, uh, the new heaven, the new earth. And we see this in, in, in these script, scriptures, and you think Isaiah written 700 years before Jesus gives us some information here. It says, but those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will, 
fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. This is in Isaiah. I mean, it's very long ago. You know, and you think about that, if you're reading that as a first century Jewish person waiting for the Messiah to come, you hear about what the Messiah is supposed to do, is supposed to make things new. And so what was the controversy in the first century about Messiah coming? It was a lot of different ones, but a lot of, we always kind of talk about it, whether it was going to be a military, was he going to overcome the military and get us Rome and they get rid of Rome and they could be the leaders and everything. And I suppose that was there, but one of the big things was they didn't really understand there were going to be two comings. And as you read through the Old Testament, I wonder what I would have understood when I was there. It took a while for the disciples to understand this. Now, we have no excuse because we get the New Testament. They didn't have it. You read on, foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually day and night. They shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations and their kings led in the procession. So they're thinking the second coming, all this stuff was going to happen. This is in Isaiah 60. In the first coming, they're thinking this is it's probably going to happen. When Jesus doesn't do this, they're a little confused. Um, Isaiah 62, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray in the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. And we talked about the metaphor of the new Jerusalem with the kids. So you think about this. If you're coming in there, I always wonder what they were thinking. This was going to, when are you going to do this? You see this uh, in the disciples, they're trying, they're waiting for him to act, not just because they want to overthrow Rome, they're waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. And that wasn't going to happen yet. That was one of the things that people got caught up with. If you're in Revelation, if you go to chapter 21, verses 24 through 26, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. There will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Doesn't that sound a lot like Isaiah 60? I mean, very close. You know, same type of thing. Now, we know that that didn't happen in the first coming. We, we understand that. We talked about that last week. There was The kingdom has already come because the cross has happened. Death has been defeated. We have redemption in Christ and a future glory. But... Our bodies still deteriorate. We still don't have perfect everything. Uh, they're still suffering. There's still sin. They're still crying. There's still pain. That hasn't happened yet. Revelation 21 talks about when that's going to happen. It's still in our future, obviously. Uh, I think there's a few people that teach that oh, it's already happened. I wouldn't listen to them. Uh, that doesn't seem like evidence is showing that. But for us, to, in our day and age, we don't really argue over whether or not uh, it's the first coming or the second coming because, heck, you're going to sign up to help with the Christmas production, right? Yeah, and what's that about? Well, it's about the first coming. We already know that happened, right? Jesus came, and we're waiting for the second coming. That's not So we had to argue over something, so we found something to argue about in Revelation 20. Um, and I think it's okay to argue. We're going to look at this just a little bit because this is the, 
uh, I guess, the, the, the debate of the day, with, and I think it's an in-house debate. Revelation 20, if you're in Revelation, we're going to go back and look at this. Um, this is what we would call the focus or, the, or the, the question of what we call the millennium. This is the place it is in the Bible, if you wondered about that. Um, sometimes understanding this can quench our understanding of the main thing, the new heaven, the new earth, what we get after that. Sometimes it's a little bit like, uh, uh, you've probably heard the adage, you know, it wasn't really that important at the very end before they hit the iceberg that you got all the decks, all the deck chairs in the right place on the Titanic because it was going down, <laughs> you know. Sometimes we major in the minors, you know, and I think we can do this here. So I'm going to read through just verses 1 through 8. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. Now, note, remember last week, if we wondered what that snake was in Genesis 3, well, here you go. Um, it's also a dragon. I still like the dragon part better. Um, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he may not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must re be released for a while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge were committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast on its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads of their hands. They came, or their hands, excuse me. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together for the battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, I have no idea why people have so much trouble with this text. I mean, it's just dragons and beasts and, yeah, you know, how hard could it be? There's a lot of stuff in here, isn't there? A lot of imagery. A lot of it comes from the first 19 chapters. Some of it we see in the next. Um, but what I want to talk about today is there's been differing interpretations and viewpoints about this text throughout history. And knowing that, I think, we'll, and you, you, maybe, maybe you all know that, and that's fine. Um, and again, yes, the welcome is a precursor. Uh, what do we divide over? You know, what's the most important? What do we go to the map for? And I'm just going to give you the ones that are out there. This, these are the ones uh, that, you know, you can categorize things in a lot of different ways. The, the, and millennium is that thousand-year thing that keeps being said over. It's a millennium. Um, Post-millennialism. Um, this was very popular for a long time. Very popular in the in the 19th century, uh, 1800s. What happens in post? Well, the kingdom of God continues to spread. Um, one of the big proponents of this was Jonathan Edwards, who, in my opinion, is the greatest uh, American theologian by far. If you get a chance to read anything uh, that he's written, he was a, a great theologian, a very good mind. Um, 
he was a post-millennial. Uh, Charles Hagen Spurgeon was, if you know his, a lot of people read his sermons, a great English preacher. Um, and a contemporary who passed away a few years ago, R.C. Sproul, which we've even done some of his material here, uh, a good Reformed theologian, uh, a, a very good guy. Now, what, what is the idea here? Well, the idea is that when you look at the millennium, that is the time period when God sends out his people and they make disciples like the Great Commission tells us to. You know, you can, you know, we've, you probably saw the, if you come in and you see these different uh, uh, slides that come through the different missionaries that we support, you know, going all to wor into the world, make disciples. We try to make disciples here. We're, that's part of what we do as a church. That's what you do. So the idea is that you keep making disciples. Satan can't stop you. He's, he's hindered, you know, chained. And you go out and do that and, and you see the gospel go. Uh, it's a very optimistic view um, that's out there. Um, and so, and then... He, he, you, we reign with him because we're, we're part of who he is. And then eventually he comes back and we get the new heaven and the new earth. And that, that's one that very, was very popular for a long time. It's still out there some today. Like I said, people like R.C. Sproul uh, were parts. But uh, you don't have to show hands, but most people don't even know this one exists, which is interesting to me. Um, then we get the premillennial one. Well, the premillennial believes that there's going to be a final battle, um, and then there's going to be a, a, a literal. So obviously the postmillennial is not believing that the thousand years is literal. It's just a metaphor for a long time. Um, so there's a final battle. There's a thousand-year millennium where God reigns and Satan is chained. And then you have a new earth after that, a new heaven and a new earth. There's lots of things that can go on, and, and even people within this view have fun arguing with each other about how that all works. And you've got tribulation and pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib and this trib and that trib and all kinds of fun things. It's a good view. Um, uh, now, the main one there called the historical premillennial kind of takes Revelation as a historical treaty of the way the world went. And it ends in chapter 20. Um, well, Irenaeus was a big proponent of this. He was a, a bishop in the second century in a little town called Smyrna, who just happens to be one of the churches of Revelation, which is kind of interesting. He had this historical view that, you know, that this would happen and that we could look through the pages of Revelation. It was going to tell what history was all about. Robert Gundry is a, is a uh, real good evangelical uh, current proponent of that. And then you have the dispensational premillennial. You all taking notes? Isn't this fun? You get dispensational premillennial is the one that started in the 1800s. Now, this is the one you've probably heard of. This is the one, that, and when I was a young Christian, it's the, one, it's the only one I thought existed. Um, this, is, this is one, if it, and there's a couple reasons why this is. If anybody heard the term, I've seen the, any of the movies called Left Behind. Tim LaHaye, yeah. That's the dispensational premillennial view. Started in the 1800s, so it's fairly new. Uh, it hasn't been around for very long uh, compared to these others. Um, um, and the, the reason it kind of grabbed on and got became so popular in our present day, maybe those movies, but before that, back in the late 19th century, early 20th century, there weren't very many study Bibles, all, zero. I mean, you guys, we got study Bibles coming out our nose. 
So you should have one. So that, what does they do? They help you understand the Bible. That's why they're called study Bible. Well, they didn't have it. There's two guys that came out with study Bibles, and they were very well done. One was, was Charles Ryrie, and the other one was James Schofield. Now, have you heard the Schofield Bible and the Ryrie Bible? They were both dispensational premillennial. So their view of Revelation was shown in that Bible, and that's what popularized now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong or I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is where it got out there. And it became what we, a lot of people think is the way it is. And then the one that I very much admire who has this view is John MacArthur. I would be, if you want to follow John MacArthur and just pretty much anything he says, I would pretty much say go for it. Very good guy. Um, and he pop, not pop, has popularized this view too. But this is one interesting thing about this. So what happened in our culture and about 20 years ago, we started seeing churches separate over this view. Not all, but some. I went to a church when I was in uh, seminary. Uh, it was actually a Baptist church. It's a very big Baptist church. And it, you had to believe this view to become a member. And I always wondered about that. And again, they can do what they want. You know, and you can go other churches, right? You don't have, but you started seeing this becoming an essential. And we started to see a little bit more, more people entrenching themselves in these views. But another thing about John MacArthur is really interesting. Remember the guy who was the contemporary of the post-millennial, R.C. Sproul? Those two guys were friends, and they had completely different views of the end times, which I think is just interesting. I'll never forget, because I don't know if you've seen Sproul, but he can be pretty funny. And MacArthur is no dummy. <laughs> they were up on stage, and John was given this, MacArthur was given this, he's given a rendition of the dispensational premium, the seven-year rapture, and all this kind of stuff. Do a really good job in using Scripture to do it. And, and he looks at Sproul, and he goes, I just can't understand how you, why you don't see this and understand it. And he says, well, I understand it, John. I just don't agree with you. I'll just never forget that because these guys loved each other. They preached in each other's churches. They cared about each other, but they never, ever agreed on this view, but they didn't see it as an essential view. But here's the point, too, and be careful with this because what we tend to do is think, well, it doesn't matter. It matters. Somebody's wrong, right? Uh, maybe they're all wrong, but they can't all be right because they have different views. But don't stop trying to understand. It'll change things. I realize this. These two views are hugely different in the way you look at the world. Right? Have you ever heard the term? You probably see this on Facebook. Signs of the times. What are the signs of the times? Well, if you're a premillennial person or an amillennial, which we'll get to in a minute, you would think things are going to get worse and worse and then Jesus will come. That's the view. But what if you're a postmillennial person? You're going to think things are going to get better and better, and then Jesus is going to come. Well, that's a different way to look at life. It's like you, I, mean, I was thinking about that. Have I ever seen on Facebook when, hey, the hurricane didn't come. Jesus must be coming back. Or the stock market went up. Jesus must be coming back. Or there's a chicken in every pot. Jesus, it's, what's the, what do you usually hear? Wars, rumors of wars. That's a, post, that's a premillennial view doesn't make it wrong, but it does view, take your viewpoint different. 
What I would encourage you to do is look at the other people. Listen to them. See what they have to say. See if they're compelling to you. Know that there's more out there than just the one view. And then there's, you get to amillennial, which you all know what ah means. If you're a theist, you believe in what? God, theos. If you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. It just means not, you know. So what's not millennial? They don't believe the millennial is, is uh, uh, literal. And, and so they think that amillennials would say, he's already chained when, he, when, the, when the cross hit. They use this verse, might, might be compelling to you. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling have been kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So the idea is that at the cross, most amillennials will teach that Satan is on a short leash or chain. And that's the way the world goes now. You know, it's hard for us to get into this. We think, well, what netwit would believe this? Well, just Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin. Oops. Don't you hate it when smart people have ideas you don't like? You know, this is the thing. You, you step back. Martin Luther and John Calvin had an amillennial view. Wow. These guys were obviously biblical scholars and had a lot to say. J.I. Packer, who just passed away a couple years ago, is a, was an evangelical, English-born, but Canadian and he's the general editor of the, he was the general editor for years of the, the ESV Bible that most people use. A very great scholar, had a homillennial view, which isn't too much different than the premillennial, but there's, there's a lot out there. But again, I have to step back and think, wow, these guys are pretty heavy hitters. Maybe I should look into this. And maybe we shouldn't think our way is perfect when we know other people who are wise and faithful have good answers too. Um, so why to step back and say, this is a problem, and then why do it in a sermon? Well, because this, this is divided churches. It's divided. We've, we've trenched in on stuff, and it's kind of like we're so worried about whether you think it's going to happen this way or that way or the other way, when really, are we really preaching the gospel to people? It's like somebody comes up, hey, you go to Grace Church, and could you tell me about Jesus? Well, right now, I'm trying to get this nitwit, thinks it's post-millennial, and you know, don't do that. <laughs> you know, focus on, focus on the main thing. And I think it'd be great if we, keep, if we can humbly try to learn from each other. I've learned so much from reading John MacArthur, reading R.C. Sproul, uh, reading Martin Luther. Martin Luther thought he wouldn't go, because he was smart, he didn't go 100%, but he really thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. You can read that. You remember what happened during Luther's day? People were killing each other because you either went to the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church? Isn't it nice you can go to either one now and nobody kills you? It's better. Maybe the post-millennials are right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. There are, again, what lens do you look at the world through? You know, we can say, well, the world is getting worse. Depends on what aspect you look at. The world is getting better. Same thing. It depends on what aspect you look at. The world is better, in a sense, that we don't kill each other when we go to different denominational churches on Sunday. The world is worse in other ways. We know both can happen. But again, there are many different views within these, and they even argue, people can argue with each other. And I guess what I would always look for, and I saw this in John MacArthur, and I see, or saw this in R.C. Sproul, and I see it in John MacArthur, is even though they're sure, far as they know, 
of what they believe, there's still a level of humility always before God. And I think that's what you always look for. So since the interpretation of the millennium, it's not essential to our faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's no, we just did that, right? This doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change who Jesus is. It doesn't change what the cross does. And it doesn't change what finally happens. It is a little bit odd that we argue about this stuff as much as we do. Book after book. If you want to get into, if you like to be an author, write a book on one of these things. Somebody will buy it. You know? And if you write like you act like you know what you're talking about, more people will even buy it. But we shouldn't divide over this. But I want you to notice something. All three major millennial views end with a new earth. <laughs> we found something they all agree in. They, they agree in a lot more than that, don't they? How do you get to the new heaven and the new earth? By faith, through the grace of Christ. I mean, all of them have that. So again, it seems a little odd, and I've seen people outside the church look at people who argue about these things and say, what is wrong with you people? Why are you arguing over something um, that doesn't ultimately matter in the end of things? So what is the all did? Christ will reign. We see this in Revelation 11, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has begun the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I can almost hear the song uh, reigning forever and ever and ever. And in Hebrews, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And as you've got your Bible open, go to down to 21, 5 through 7, and you if, if you're ever bored, or, or maybe not so much bored, but uh, down. If you're ever down, go read 21 and 22 of Revelation. It's very hard to read this and be down. Um, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my child. I mean, that is a promise to everybody who follows. I remember uh, one of my friends in, uh, from Louisiana, no less. I'm going to have a little bit of living water here. The, uh, I remember saying, well, what, what view are you? And he says, well, I'm a pan-millennial. Pan-millennialist, what's that? He says, I believe it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> and if you take nothing else from this sermon, that's it. God, God has his hands. But I, I, I'll hit it again. Don't quit talking about this stuff. Don't quit pushing for your view. I think that's fine. Just do it with grace. You know, because there's, there's, somebody's wrong. And there's stuff in here. Let's try to figure it out. Let's not get too carried away. Um, so Jesus fulfills many Old Testament prophecies of, about uh, the first coming, and that helps us. We're so much better than those first century, or excuse me, those, those first covenant people. They didn't know. They looked from afar. He's, he's going to fulfill the Old Testament and the New Testament prophecies about the second coming, and we know this, but we don't know the when, right? That's when we get in trouble. If any of these views start telling you when, then I think, uh-oh, well, why don't we think we know when? 
So when the apostles were with Jesus, this is right before he ascended, uh, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? What are they asking? You did all the, some of the stuff, but you haven't done all of the stuff. Rome's still here. Our, our, our friends that have died in the Lord are still dead. I, is, it, is it time now? Are you going to do it? And Jesus says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostles. And then he goes on to say, but for you, you go out and you go to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world, and be my witnesses. That's your job. I'll get, and, and then he leaves, really cool. I always wanted to, in my movie, I'd get him, you know, you know I'm, I'm ascending. I don't know if you can see that. Um, but, but, you know, he ascends into heaven, and then the two angels come down and say, you know, why are you looking up? Well, Mike, well, he's just left up there. But anyway, why are you looking up? This same Jesus will return in the same manner that he, that he left. So we know that he's going to return. We know that he's going to put everything right. But there's one question we do not know. When? And what are 99% of the arguments about Revelation about? Timing. If we just knew the timing. But we know it's going to happen. We'll have this, we'll hit this verse during Christmas. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is Gabriel talking to Zechariah, and the Lord God will give to him the house of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom that will never end. Again, not consummated yet. So back to Revelation. You look at 21, 24, and, and 2, 22, 5. We see in 21, 24, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then down into verse 5 of chapter 22, he said, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You get a picture there's eternity here anywhere? It hits a lot, doesn't it? So much about Revelation tells us that God has done everything we need and has given everything that we need to us and shown us all the wonders of, and the hope that we can have for the future. Let's not get bogged down into the pieces and nitpick things that ultimately don't matter. If you want to, and you all like this, I know everybody likes this when I give it to them. Uh, homework, and we always, everybody likes that word. It's not a four-letter word, but home in front of it. Um, so, homework. Read through Revelation and write down everything you find out about Jesus. There's things about Jesus in Revelations you won't learn anywhere else. It's not different than we learn from the Gospels or the, or the Epistles, but it's, 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 it's deep. It's good. And sometimes we can't see the forest because of the trees. Isaiah 66 sounds very much like Revelation, does it? So I will gather all nations and peoples together and they will see my glory. As surely as the new heavens and the new earth will remain, so you will always be my people with a name that will never disappear, says Yahweh. All humanity will come to worship me 
from week to week and from month to month. Won't that be cool in the new heaven and the new earth when we come to worship? That everybody in town will be there. That's something to look forward to. And was, so no, regardless of someone's eschatological end times view, be assured that the, the ultimate fulfilling these prophecies will be in the new earth. And we'll end with this verse from uh, Isaiah 60. But before, just remember, um, you want to get to know God better, get into his word, worship him, pray, pray to him, serve him, study about him. He's given you what all this information, it changes your heart. Uh, the more you know about him, the more hope you'll have for this life and the next. All your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. For I will plant them there with my own hand in order to bring myself glory. Let us pray. Father, as we uh, look into these different views and look into your perfect word in the book of Revelation, we thank you for showing us yourself in the way that you uh, intended. Uh, forgive us for looking at a book like Revelation and thinking that somehow you messed up by making it so hard to understand in places. May we go to it and grab it for what uh, you wanted to, to give us. May you always uh, give us the grace by your spirit to understand you better through it. Uh, we thank you so much for uh, giving us what you need, what we need. May we always uh, accept the grace, getting to know you better day by day through your word and your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.